the name of Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we begin our last session. So, um, <clears throat> we talked about how the grace of God teaches us something. Yeah? So, we need to articulate that the grace of God is not a feeling or just one single blessing. The grace of God encompasses the whole salvation plan. Now, when we believe and receive the grace of God into our hearts, which is the gospel, the truth about Jesus, about judgment, about salvation, the grace of God teaches us how to live the new life. It teaches us to deny ungodliness, worldly lust, and live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age as well as to look for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God, Jesus Christ. So I want to um, just uh, pause a little bit on um, ungodliness. Ungodliness, right? Um, let's turn to Romans chapter 1, verse 16 to 17. Romans chapter 1, Verse 16 to 17, 18. Yeah. Sisters, can you please read Romans chapter 1, 16 to 18. Oh, is it because I haven't done this? because I haven't done this duplicate. Yeah. I haven't done it. So squeeze it. Oh. So what did I do? Oh, it's done. Okay. Oh, 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 oh. Oh, now it's gone. <laughs> Is it there? Yeah. Okay. 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 Right, so Romans chapter 1, verse 16 to 18. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 to 18. Okay. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, verse 17. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Yeah. Let me explain. Right. So here is the gospel. gospel. Now the gospel God's righteousness means how God is going to judge. So, God is going to be against 
When I kneel down to pray in the name of Jesus, I say it with my mouth, but my heart was not filled with reverence, acknowledging the presence of God whom we are serving and worshipping, and begging Him with all our heart to guide us. Would it be ungodly? Meaning I use His name, but I didn't actually, my heart was not in the prayer. Was it ungodly? Is it ungodly? That is ungodly. Because you are using God's holy name and your heart was not there. Now, I said what I just said just now, but in your heart you agreed. You had judgment that what I said was true, and then if you were not really praying, your mind was somewhere else, then your conscience says, yep. You did that, you were wrong, equals ungodly. Clear? So now you know how to find out whether you are ungodly or godly. This is the power of the gospel. The gospel speaks volumes, speaks clearly when you judge yourself with the gospel to judge, to find out whether there is ungodliness or unrighteousness. Let's do another one, shall we? Okay. Suppose I say, Oh, brother, I forgive you. I forgive you. I say in front of everyone, Brother, I forgive you. Even though you've wronged me, I forgive you. Right? So that's pretty good, isn't it? Because using my mouth, I forgive. But if I don't forgive from my heart, and I'm just using my mouth because I just want to get a popular vote. I want to give people the impression my heart is magnanimous. I am willing to forgive this brother who sinned against me. Right? Is that right? I forgive with the mouth, but my heart is not in the same place as my mouth. Is that right? It's not right. So that is what is called unrighteousness. Unrighteousness. Okay? So now you can see that when we receive the gospel, yeah, when we receive the gospel, this is how God judges us. And if we are truly interested in salvation, we take the word of God that we have heard and we use it to judge ourselves and say, Did I do this or did I not do this? I judge myself. Yeah? So let me elaborate. God's righteousness says, this is what I should do, this is what I should do, this is what I should do, for example. So when I examine myself with God's righteousness, I find out that, oh, I did one, I did two, but I didn't do three. So if I didn't do God's righteousness, what is right in God's sight, does that reveal my unrighteousness? It does. So therefore, I have a choice. Either I just hear it, or I act upon the spiritual knowledge that the gospel has revealed in me by unrighteousness. Yeah? Okay. So now I ask you this question, right? Is this how God redeems us? 
Is this how God redeems us? It's how God redeems us. Brothers and sisters, listen out. Right? Listen. Who is the one that is redeeming us when we hear the word of God? Who is the one that is redeeming us? Is it preacher? Deacon? Brother? Sister leading the Bible study fellowship? Who is redeeming us? When the word of God is spoken, who is redeeming us? Jesus. So when the gospel is revealed into our hearts, who is doing the work of God? Who is doing the work of revealing God's righteousness to God? Let us find out our ungodliness, our unrighteousness. Who's doing the work? Jesus. Does that make sense? Jesus is the one who is doing the work. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8. Let's look at verse 10 to verse 12. Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10 to verse 12. Verse 10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. Verse 12, For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds. I will remember no more. This reveals that Jesus is the Redeemer. He puts his law into your heart, which is the gospel. He puts it in so that we will realize we were sinners. We repent, we change, and God renews us and forgives us. That is why he himself will be merciful to our, our unrighteousness and our sins and lawless deeds. He will remember no more. So what does this mean? It means the most important person to convince that we have totally repented is who? Jesus. You have to prove to him that you have totally, totally, absolutely changed. Because he is the one that knows all things. Is that clear? He is the one that knows all things. Okay. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Verse 14 to 17. Right? So 14 to 17 is saying the same thing as Hebrews chapter 8 verse 10 to 12. It's saying the same thing. So the Bible mentions twice, which emphasizes to us how Jesus is the king and high priest, how he is the one that is redeeming us from every lawless deed. Clear? This is how he is our savior real time. Real time. Right? So that means if we believe this, and then we go home and continue to dwell on the gospel 
for the Holy Spirit to lead us to let God's righteousness expose our unrighteousness and ungodliness, isn't it true that the Lord Jesus is saving us as well? Jesus is saving us, right? So it's not like, oh, I pray, 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 and then, wow, I had a wonderful feeling. That is how Jesus saves us. I don't need him to come and strike me with a pestilence or car accident to wake me up from sin. I don't need to wait for that. Because there's something more powerful, which is the gospel. The gospel reveals how God is going to judge us, so I better change. Otherwise, God will reject us because we rejected the gospel. Okay? So this is how we grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is how the grace and peace is multiplied to us, right? So I want to emphasize a little bit more. Is the gospel preached to believers or non-believers? Is the gospel preached to the gospel to believers or to non-believers? Let's turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, let's look at verse 15. Verse 15, everyone read. 1, 2, 3, go. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are rich, who are in Rome also. Don't you find that verse strange? Why is Paul wanting to go to preach to the gospel to those who already believe? Right? Let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. First Corinthians chapter 2 verse 1. First Corinthians chapter 2 verse 1. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. Right? Now let's also turn to First Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 1. Verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand. Brothers and sisters, how many times did Paul preach the gospel to Corinth? How many times? How many times did Paul declare the gospel? How many times? More than once. Agree? Now, why did Paul need to preach the gospel more than once? Let's look at verse 2. Verse 2. By which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So Paul was saying, yeah, he is reminding them about the gospel so that they can hold fast the word of God so that they can be saved. So Paul was in doubt whether they truly held fast to the word that is why he declares the gospel to them again. Clear? So this means 
That why did Paul preach the gospel to members? Let's turn to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verse 16. Romans chapter 2, verse 16. Verse 16. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So here, Paul emphasizes that he is preaching the gospel to them, giving them points that he needs to emphasize to let them know this is how God is going to judge. You need to take note of this. Yeah? So Paul was helping them reevaluate their faith and their relationship with Jesus and to prepare properly for the day of judgment. And that is how our Lord Jesus redeems us. Yeah? So now, when you look at the gospel, the gospel is for every single believer. It's not just for non-believers, it's for believers. How do we know this? Let's turn to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Let's look at verse 8. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 8. In flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah? Now, before, you would have thought, oh, if a person doesn't obey the gospel, because the gospel says you've got to believe in Jesus, you've got to be baptized the correct way, then you'll be saved, true? We thought that obeying the gospel was just this bit. Can I ask you a question? If I don't forgive someone, have I obeyed the gospel or disobeyed the gospel? I've disobeyed. True? So can you see how the gospel now is broadened the scope to include all of the words of God because the gospel reveals how God is going to judge. So, can I give you a new one, another one? Let's turn to Romans chapter 14. Because I think this will help us, right? Let's turn to Romans chapter 14, verse 23. Romans chapter 14, verse 23. <clears throat> Romans chapter 14, verse 23. Let's read verse 23. One, two, three, go. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats, because he does not eat from faith. For whatever is not from faith is... Ah. So now we know what is sin. We thought sin is just merely doing something wrong. But it's actually before that. It's before that. When you don't believe in God's righteousness and you're not willing to do it, is that sin? It's sin. Because when you don't believe in the gospel, the entirety of the gospel or parts of the gospel 
it's sin. The gospel tells me, right? The gospel tells me I can eat all things, true? Apart from blood, apart from food offered to idols, apart from uh, animals that are strangled, right? Etc. Etc. Right? So, so therefore, basically, whatever is not from faith is sin, true? So, but the Bible also says, reveals, that if I don't want to eat meat, is it sin? If I just want to be a vegetarian, is it sin? It's not a sin, isn't it? And according to the gospel, I can eat what I want as long as Acts chapter 15, verse 28 is not done. True? But if I love chasu, right? Pork, roast pork, right? And you just like vegetable because you become a vegetarian, right? Right? Can I force you to eat meat? Can I force you to eat meat? Can I say, oh, you're, you're not a porky, right? You don't eat pork, right? You're terrible. You're sinning against the gospel. The gospel tells us that we can eat everything. The fact that you don't eat pork, chasu, right? You're sinning against God. You're going against the teaching. Is that the truth? No. If I eat pork, but you're a vegetarian, and you force me to be a vegetarian, otherwise I'm a lesser Christian in the eyes of Christ, is that wrong? It's wrong. Does that make sense now? Yeah? So therefore, the judgment is in the sight of God, not how you feel. The righteousness of God needs to be expressed clearly so we know what to do. Yeah? So let's take this a little bit further, shall I? If I come to worship in a fellowship, if I don't believe Jesus is there, but I use his name, I don't believe Jesus is here, is that sin or not sin? I don't believe. Is it sin? Does that make sense now? Because the Bible tells us whatever is not of faith is sin. So you are doing something, just doing it. You're doing it because you're in routine, right? Okay, let's, let's turn it the other way, right? Let's turn it the other way. If I believe in the name of Jesus we're gathered together, Jesus is here, right? And my heart is warmed because I know Jesus is with us because I believe in his word. When two or three are gathered in my name, he is there in our midst, right? Is that righteousness? Is that righteousness? It's righteousness. Now, since it is God's righteousness, is God going to lead our fellowship? Can you expect God to lead and guide our fellowship. Yes, you can. Yeah? Okay, let's do another one, right? Suppose I believe that next month there's a Bible study. I'm going to lead it. So I am going to earnestly pray to God. You who are the participants are going to pray to God 
for this Bible study, and we are all going to prepare, beg God to teach us His Word, so that I can have something to share with others. And so when we gather together in the name of Jesus, humbling reverently before God, and when we have that fellowship, will God recognize that fellowship as a godly fellowship? Will the preparation to the actual fellowship be granted as a sanctified fellowship? Will God be in our fellowship? Yes, he will. Because we are following his word. We are believing. We are preparing properly. Yeah? Okay, let's move that a little bit further, right? Since we do this for fellowship, and we are doing the right thing in the sight of God, right? In that way. Is it true to say that God will use us to save others? Can we expect God to use us to save other people when we are gathered in this godly manner? Can we expect that? Logically, we can, right? But you need to find the basis, the foundation our feeling, our thought is true. Let's get to Acts chapter 2. <clears throat> Acts chapter 2. Let's look at verse 42. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. Verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. So were these newly baptized members, were they worshipping God in a righteous way? What happened when they worshipped God in the righteous way? Let's look at verse 44. Acts chapter 2, verse 44. Now all who believed were together. Now, let's look at verse 46 and 47. 46. So, continuing daily with one accord, verse 47, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So, is this kind of fellowship the same as the fellowship that we just mentioned that this fellowship is gathered together in faith, doing God's righteousness in a godly manner, and our, our faith is improving, will God use our fellowship to save more people? According to the Bible, that's the pattern that God has given to us. True? So now, if you say that you believed in the fellowship that preacher Timothy was talking about, now we have the Bible representation, and you have all agreed by conscience, yes, God will be with us in theory, and now you've got the Bible backup for it. 
Now do you have the faith to go forth and set up the fellowship and strengthen the brothers and sisters in this way? You have the faith, true? Because he says, yep, that is the way to go. Because now I believe. Now when you believe and you do it, isn't that God's righteousness? You're already bearing fruit, but you haven't done anything yet. Yeah? When you believe, what is actually happening when you believe in the righteousness? What is happening? Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Uh, let's look at verse 13. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Connect to what I just said just now and then read verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So we have established that if I prepare in a godly manner, I pray for the fellowship, I study and prepare. This is all part of the package of God's righteousness, right? And you guys, being the participants, you are praying and preparing in a godly manner as if you are the leader, right? Because that's the right thing to do. And then we gather in belief that this is God's will. When we are all participating in doing God's will, conscientiously, sincerely, who is that working in us? Who? When you have the will to do it, and you actually follow through to do it, who is that moving inside you? Who? According to verse 30, it is God. Does that make sense? It is God himself. Now, let's turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Let's look at verse 6. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So what was the good work that, that the Lord started in the believers of Philipp Philippi? They believed. To believe in the gospel, is that a good work? To believe and obey the rest of the gospel, is it a good work? So therefore, to believe and to do, it is God that is working in us. Yeah? It is God who is working in us. So all of us, including myself, I thought, when I'm doing church work, I am doing the church work. When I'm doing the church work in a godly manner, it's me that's doing it. When I'm doing the church work with a reverent heart, I'm doing it. No. 
The Bible says that when we do things according to the standard of our Lord Jesus, according to the gospel, it is who working in us. It is God working in us. Yes? Now let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now this is very interesting, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Now, let us look at verse 4 and 5. Sorry, verse 6. Just verse 6. Verse 6, let's read together. 1, 2, 3, go. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Confirmed, right? Right? Now, let's look at verse 7. Verse 7. Verse 7. 1, 2, 3, go. So that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 8, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. So how many times did Jesus confirm, how many times did Jesus confirm the church of Corinth? How many times? Was it once or more than once? More than once. Confirm, 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 unto the end. True? So therefore, what does this mean? It means that Jesus, real time, he is confirming us according to the gospel. Yeah? We used to think that if I am baptized, the Lord has confirmed me to be his child. When I receive the Holy Spirit, I am confirmed because I've received the guarantee of my inheritance, the Holy Spirit. Yeah? I'm confirmed when I do a piece of church work. Yeah? But now, it's more than that, isn't it? Is it more than that? It's more than that. The Lord continues to confirm us by revealing His Word his gospel, his righteousness, and he reveals our ungodliness and our unrighteousness so that we can be redeemed from all lawlessness. Is that the Lord confirming us? Yes. He's confirming, you are my child, I am cleaning you up. So every time the word of God enters into your heart, as you are obeying, 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 repenting, 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 who is doing the work? You are working with Jesus for him to confirm you. You are truly a son and daughter of God. Does that make sense now? Because it is God in us to will and to do for his good pleasure. So even if you have not received the Holy Spirit, when you receive the truth and you are repenting, is that God working in you or you did it yourself? God working in you. 
So when you are praying desperately, because the gospel says, if you want to receive the Holy Spirit, repent, pray, ask, don't doubt. Yeah? Who is that working in you? You are obeying the gospel. So isn't that the Lord confirming you? So therefore, we realize, is God's grace growing now? Now we have got the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Is the grace of God being multiplied? Is the peace being multiplied? So we find it that grace and peace is multiplied according to the revelation of the gospel. Yeah? Okay, I think that's clear, right? Right, let's continue. <clears throat> I want to expand the point. What does it mean, knowledge of our Lord? Yeah? Knowledge of our Lord. Knowledge of our Lord is not in theory but in according to the interaction with him. Yeah? So today, have we not um, articulated, right? When I become more reverent, isn't that God working in me? God is revealing his righteousness. My heart is changing. So is this experience, this realization part of the knowledge of the Lord. Now, if I am doing this conscientiously, realizing I am acknowledged God, now I have this new heart. It's you working in me. Now, is the grace in me causing me to grow? So therefore, the knowledge of our Lord means that the more we practice the word of God, the more we're willing to repent, this is the Lord's knowledge growing in us. We are becoming more and more aware, spiritually aware, conscientious, careful what we do and say and think and feel, because we live in the sight of God. Now, when we are willing to do that, is the knowledge of our Lord growing? When our spiritual knowledge of the Lord is growing, then is the grace and peace of God growing in our hearts? Yes, it is. Fair? Okay. So, I want to turn to another particular verse. Let's turn to Acts chapter 16, verse 14. I've already turned to this because I want to instill in yourselves to realize that when we are talking about uh, the word of God touching our hearts, I want to emphasize that it is the Lord who opened our hearts, right? Acts chapter 16, verse 14. Acts chapter 16, verse 14. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Tiatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. 
So is this just a historical account? Or is it prophetic in nature to reveal to us when the word of God comes into our hearts and we've understood it? Is it telling us that when we understand the word of God, isn't it to tell us that God is the one who has opened our heart? So is God here when I understand his word, when I'm enlightened, when I'm illuminated? It is God's work. Real time. Okay? Now, the, the, the point I want to bring out is this, okay? Because in John chapter 2, yeah, John chapter 2, verse 11, it says, This beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana, Cana of I don't know how to pronounce it, Cana of Galilee, and manifest his glory, his disciples believed in him. Right? Now, most of the time, right, most of the time, we say, oh, if something amazing happens, if, so, if there's a miracle, then God manifests his glory. Yeah? This is one way of God manifesting his glory. Yeah? Now, let's look at chapter 17, verse 6. Yeah? John chapter 17, verse 6. So, Jesus says, he manifested God's name, his name, to us. So, the fact that the Lord Jesus manifests God's name to us, you may say, well, what's so good about that? When God manifests his name, and we pray in the name of Jesus when a person receives the Holy Spirit, isn't that a manifestation of God's work? When a person receives the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's do another thing. Is it true that when we gather in the name of Jesus and we use his name, and then your heart is touched by the word of God. I learn something. You learn something. Isn't that God manifesting himself? Because we realize it is only when God helps us understand his word, we can understand. If God doesn't help us, how can we understand? It is the Holy Spirit that reveals so when the Lord gave us his name and we asked for his guidance and we understood his word, that is God's manifestation. Clear? Now, let's look at the next bit. John chapter 14. Now, this is the crux of the matter. Yeah? John chapter 14, verse 21. Verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. I will love him and manifest myself to him. Brothers and sisters, how does the Lord manifest himself to us? When you disobeyed, you had no peace. When you obeyed, did you have peace? 
is not the Lord manifest himself to us. Before you were unholy, then when you obeyed, are you made holy? Isn't that the Lord manifest himself to us? Yeah? Let's look at Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and 43. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 and 43. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we find it that the, the new believers steadfastly uh, continued in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. And then when we look at verse 43, what happened to the 3,000 odd disciples? In verse 43, it says, Then fear came upon every soul. Fear came upon every soul. Is that the manifestation of the Lord Jesus? It is, isn't it? Because they obeyed God's will and the fear of God was in them. How do we know this to be true? Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 and 2 talks about the Holy Spirit is not just the spirit of wisdom, etc., but it is also the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord. So when we obey, when we hear the word of God, when we get the doctrines in our hearts, that not that the fear a manifestation of the Lord? It is, right? Okay, so now we go on. I wanted to talk about this, but you just take it for notes. Right, okay. So the best way to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is to realize we need to escape from under Satan's lies. Yeah? This is how the Lord redeems us. Yeah? We've been saturated with lies and we have told ourselves lies and that is why we need the truth of the gospel to tell us the truth so that we can wake up to God's righteousness and allow Jesus to redeem us from under Satan's grasp so that we can come totally under the rule of the Lord. Okay? So we realize in uh, Acts chapter 26, that's a typo, by the way, Acts chapter 26, verse 18. It's not 10, it's verse 18. Okay, let's turn to Acts chapter 26. Let's look at verse 18. Verse 18 says, To open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So we can see here, yeah, that when we, after we are baptized, of course, we are no longer, we are no longer under the dominion of Satan. But the Bible does tell us 
our mind needs to be renewed. Do you remember in Titus chapter 3 verse 5, it talks about we are saved by the washing of water, yeah? And renewing of the Holy Spirit, remember? The renewing part is through the gospel that we can renew and come out of the lies that we have in our minds, the lying false attitude that we have lived by, and then the Lord redeems us completely out of Satan's lies. That is why it's so important that we need to let the gospel speak to us. So in 1 John chapter 3, verse 7 and 8, how does Jesus destroy the works of the devil? How? He does this by giving us the truth. The works of the devil deceives with lies. So Jesus destroys the works of the devil with the truth. The truth exposes lies so that people can be enlightened and released. Yeah? Now, this is essential for our personal Bible study and fellowships. Have you ever felt a little bit awkward to point out the truth? Because you're scared that the person who hears it might be offended. True? But if you know it is the truth, if you put it clearly, lovingly, firmly, that person has a chance to receive the light of the truth to reflect, oh, yeah, my attitude is not so good here, you know. I've got to repent. So, oh man, I've been ungodly. This is totally bad. Is it good for that person? That is what is called edifying. Edification is not just make a person feel good. Edification is more than that. Edification means I've learned a massive lesson. I've just been saved by Jesus. That is edification. Yeah? It's to be built up in God's will. That is edification. Okay? So truth exposes lies so that people can be enlightened and released. This is the work of salvation that Jesus does in his church. Right? So if we are willing to be saved, we need to receive the truth, exposing the lies that we have been entangled in, even though emotionally it's humiliating, right? And it's like, oh, I wish the ground would open up and swallow me up kind of moment. But the best part is that I will be forgiven. I can repent and I won't be condemned. Isn't that the more edifying moment to realize I could have been condemned, but Jesus has just saved me. Isn't that a massive blessing? So therefore, in fellowship and Bible studies, it is important to help each other. We can say encouraging words. It's good. But pointed 
words of truth spoken out of love to save someone so they don't get their minds darker and darker, exposed, humbled, repenting towards God is not the work of salvation. So it is important to receive the truth then judge ourselves in all fairness with ourselves in God's presence. This is how we build up ourselves in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So then we can grow in his grace. The fact that God did not condemn us, he warned us, we took heed to the warning, we repented so that we don't get condemned with the rest of the world. Okay, I just want to give you one last thing, okay? Just one last thing. I think it is important to realize that godliness is something that we need to, righteousness is something that we pursue. Yeah? Righteousness is not a, a, a sound bite that you just remember and emotionally, momentarily, oh, as long as I just remember that term, I just remember that principle, then I'll be okay. No, righteousness is pursued. Pursued means proactive. You don't wait for God to get, you say, God, I need you to tell me all your unrighteousness, all your righteousness, sorry, all your righteousness so that I can pursue it and I can do all the right things that you want me to do. I want to be holy in your sight. It is to seek after eagerly, earnestly endeavor to acquire. That is what pursuit means. Have you ever prayed earnestly to the point that you're exhausted? Yeah? I think recently one of our preachers has shared with us that when he encountered a really testing time, he prayed the whole night, whole night, Oh, no, actually, he prayed for, I think, seven days or something like that. Continuously, he lost about seven kilograms or something like that. He prayed and prayed and prayed because it was such a horrible thing that he was facing. It's not called pursuit, earnest, right? So there was one sister. She had a family problem. Do you know what she did? She prayed from 9 a.m., right, until 5 o'clock the following morning non-stop yeah 9 p.m to pray until 5 a.m in the morning why was she doing that because she was pursuing god yeah so therefore when we are pursuing god's righteousness is not a walk in the park pursuing means you're going to be yeah it's hard it's hard. It really is hard. But when you're pursuing, that's how you should feel because you are going through a spiritual battle. You're fighting against yourself. You're fighting against all the demands in your life. But when you're pursuing and you're trying and you keep pushing, 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 that is what is called pursuing, pursuing God's righteousness. Yeah? Okay. <clears throat> that's me finished for 
this. I've got two minutes left. Right. Let's go to the last bit. Right. Right. I'm just going to go quickly, right? So, nourishing the words of doctrine, okay? Yeah? I'm just going to read it to you. A brother suddenly realized that he knew the ten articles of faith by knowledge, but they were not in his heart. The brother remembered that if he has to be saved, then he needed to pray according to the truth of God's teachings. So he, pour, he was pouring forth his heart to the Lord. He is praying for the Holy Spirit to guide him, not just to understand the teaching, but to do it unreservedly. So the Holy Spirit is there to help us. Yeah, do you remember the, the gospel revealing the doctrines are for us to, yeah? Okay. So how we could pray. This is how we can pray. Lord, you said that we must worship you in spirit and truth. Please guide us into the truth and teach us with the truth of each teaching of the salvation doctrine. Remember, I gave the example, Jesus knows all things, right? If you just take that away and pray every single day, Jesus knows all things, your faith will be upgraded. Every single day, you pray just that one point, Jesus knows all things, right? You pray every single day, Jesus is coming soon. Will your faith be upgraded? Yes, it will, right? Help me examine my heart to see if I have completely believed in each point or whether I have doubts or need to be further convinced. That's how we should pray. Lord, help me not to lie to myself and to you any longer. When you help me to discover that I have not completely believed, have mercy and allow me to repent through you convicting me. Lord, I am willing to build my life upon your doctrine. Lead me through this process. You will increase my fear of you like you did for the apostolate church. Lord, you know all things. When my heart condemns me, I know I am not right in your sight. Renew me, I beg you. Lord, this process is hard because I still have sins and areas of unbelief and I'm stubborn. But I am willing for you to save me through the teachings of the truth so that I can compare my own spiritual self to the spiritual things you teach in your word. I have been blind, Lord. Let me see. Bring me into the fold, into your truth, which you will teach me as you unite us in belief in your word. I am willing to follow you. Okay? Does that make sense? Right? So I think this helps us to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You take the basic doctrine, right? One point after another point, and pray over it so that you incorporate the teachings in your life and then let it renew you. Any questions? Any questions? Is it clear? Yeah? Is this something that you guys can take away and, and, and go and do something with? I've tried to make it as practical, as relevant, 
and as biblical as possible for you to understand. Yeah? So now you know how to live by the gospel. Now you know how important God's doctrines are. You know. So now you should have the faith to say, let us strengthen our fellowship. Let us go forth and preach. Because I have decided to live by God's word, God's gospel. I am being saved. So other people deserve this chance to be saved as well. Silent prayer. Amen.